And so let's all begin reading out loud in verse 1. And we'll read down through verse 6, the end of the chapter. Ready? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to do something this morning and this evening that I've never done in my my, uh, tenure as pastor. Both this morning and this evening, I'm going to be preaching sermons that I have already preached here before. Uh, This sermon I preached back in 2016. Uh, How many of you were not here, uh, attending here, back in 2016? Would you just hold up your hand for me? All right. So about a a fifth of the crowd, a fourth of the crowd. And so um, this will be the first time for you. Some of you just maybe didn't happen to be there that Sunday morning. Um, I'm not going to get in the habit of re-preaching old sermons. I'm doing this because I feel like this is what the Lord wants me to do. And I feel as though the sermon this morning will be as much of an encouragement to me as it will to you. And so the title of the message this morning is this, The Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Lord, would you take the truths that are covered in this chapter and would you impress them on our hearts? Lord, may this sermon be very comforting to many folks. May it um, prod where prodding is needed. The staff on the screen that we just saw. One end is a hook that's meant to gently pull us back to you. The other end is meant to be more of a paddle when we're out of line. And so whichever end of the, of the staff that uh, we need this morning would you use. And Lord, for the betterment of our souls, for the betterment of our care. Lord, may we walk with you. May we talk with you. May we have a closer walk with you. May we be a sanctuary this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Probably the one area that most Christians struggle with the most is maintaining a right spirit. Keeping our spirit steady when the world around us is anything but steady. Um, You ever been there where you're happy? I mean, everything's great. And then somebody says, just the right thing, and you are fighting mad. You've been there? Uh, you've been there where things are going good, and everyone's, uh, everyone's uh, great, and then uh, you get some news, and you're not mad, you're sad. Maintaining a right spirit. Here in the 23rd Psalm, we find that if we will permit God to be our good shepherd then he will help us with maintaining the right attitude, no matter what life throws our way. Let's look at some comparisons this morning between mankind and sheep. Mankind and sheep. Um, Here we go. The sheep is always better off if he or she follows an attentive shepherd. 
you can look at two fields of sheep. One has a shepherd. The other one are just wild animals. And what you find is that uh, if you leave sheep alone long enough, they will eat the field bare. They will eat it so bare that there are no seedlings left below, and that field will be ruined for many, many, many years. Whereas if sheep are following an attentive shepherd, he knows when they've eaten enough out of that pasture and it's time to lead them to another pasture so as to protect the sheep and the field. Uh, a, a sheep, a shepherd knows not only uh, to lead or rather to guide the sheep to new grass, he also knows how to care for their wounds, how to care for their injuries. And when the rainstorm comes and, uh, and, and a, a great storm comes, a sheep, sheep in a field with no shepherd, they are nervous, they are shaking, they scatter, they're scared. A shepherd knows how to call them by name and bring them in close and hold Hold the ones that are the most scared and hold them while they shiver and assure them that all will be okay. The same storm on both sides of the fence. One set of sheep has a shepherd. The other side does not have a shepherd. The next observation here is that the sheep rarely know what is best for his or herself, him or her, his or herself, correct. And so the, the sheep um, think they know what's best, but they don't. And uh, you have the flock going off over here, and you have that one stubborn lamb, that one stubborn sheep. No, I'm going this way. Well, we're going over here. No, well, I'm going this way. Well, well, I'm going to have to put a leash on you, and I'm going to have to force you and drag you against your will. Uh, but, but, but that's not where I want to go. I want to go over, over there. Well, you understand that over there is away from the flock. Over there is isolation. Over there, there might be a wild animal that can devour you. Over there might be a cliff that you can fall off of. But the sheep rarely know what's best for himself. Sheep oftentimes stray away from the rest of the pack. And uh, I see this to be true with Christians. You know, Satan's number one goal for you is to get you away from White Oak Baptist Church. Not just from White Oak Baptist Church, all good Bible preaching churches. Well, I'll feed myself off preaching on the Internet. Oh, really? Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, the New Testament local churches, they gathered together. Together. Um, let me just also insert this right here. This is free. This is not in my notes. I didn't say this back in 2016 when I preached this. So this will be new for all of the rest of you here, everyone here. Um, we have a camera right there. And that camera streams our services out of this building and potentially onto your cell phone screen or your television screen. And uh, um, we, we have that there. And listen, there's a lot of good that's come out of that. We've had a lot of folks. Um, I have heard reports of people being saved on the other side of the world because they've watched what's going on in this room. And I've heard stories of people getting their heart right because of what goes on in this room from afar. And I've heard stories of people being sick and tuning into the service from home and being blessed because they were able to sit on the couch. Miss Judy Harvey sitting back here. Good to have you back, Miss Judy. She watched every service that she could, or rather that we could get to her uh, as long as it was working. And she was out with an injury, surgery, and that worked out well for her. But let me tell you what this isn't supposed to do. This isn't supposed to give you an excuse to skip coming to church. You're supposed to come here to go to church. By the way, this is not church. This is the church building. Who is the church? Notice I didn't say what is the church. The church is not a thing. The church is a 
group of people. And so if you're not coming with that group of people, then you haven't attended church. And so we have a live stream. You say, but, but that's what's convenient for me. Uh, if, you, if your worship is convenient, then your worship is shallow. If your worship is convenient, your worship is shallow. And uh, listen, at times our worship ought to inconvenience us a little bit. That shows us our love for God. But sheep rarely know what's best for themselves. They want to stray away from the flock. And Satan will tell you, well, just stay home and watch it on TV. But you know how that goes. Uh, At least I know how that goes for me. Listen, I have a hard time when I put Little House on the Prairie on in my home for us to watch. Just keeping all four people in the same room. I need to go to the restroom. I need to get a snack. I I need to get this out of my bedroom. I need to go downstairs and change the laundry. And then we're just talking about Angela. We're not even talking about everybody else. You put, the, you put the service on at home, you know you're not getting at your full attention 100% of the time. Unless you can't get off the couch like Miss Harvey. All right, we'll give her a pass. But, uh, but everyone else, listen, make a point to be here. And, the, and, and don't just do what's convenient. Satan will get you uh, away from the flock little at a time. You'll make excuses little at a time. You used to go Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And then Wednesday night drops off. And then Sunday night drops off. And then Sunday morning becomes sporadic. And the next thing you know, you're not even showing up then. And you're beginning to make excuses for it. And, and again, uh, uh, you need to be here as much as you can. Let me say, I know that life circumstances come up. And I know sometimes there are, are illnesses and sicknesses. And there are things that will pull you away that are legitimate. And there, look, I'll also throw this in here. You be gracious and kind and caring and don't be judgmental towards someone that you don't see here. You know what the worst thing is, is um, if someone misses because they're sick and you get up in their face and you say, where were you last Sunday, buddy? Don't throw that judgmental spirit at people. You just be glad they're there. All right. Now, if you really care about them and you love them, you come up to them and say, how you doing, Brother Vince? Good, good. Just want you to know we love having you here. That's enough. They get the message. They get the message, and you, so you, you love. Uh, but sheep want to stray away from the pack. Satan wants you to get you away from the pack, because if so, the Bible tells us in Peter that he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Sheep are frightened by the unknown. They're frightened by the unknown. Um, God has called me to be the under-shepherd of White Oak Baptist Church, and I'm thankful that he has given me that right, I, I, or that responsibility, rather. It's not a right, it's a responsibility. And it's a privilege. I'm thankful for that responsibility. But can I tell you that sometimes this sheep who is the under-shepherd can be afraid of the unknown too. The unknown is not fun. The unknown is scary. Um, That's why we need a shepherd. Is in those times of unknown in our life, we can run to the Lord and we can let him assure us. That everything's going to be okay. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All we are like sheep in that we have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. We've followed the path that we feel like is best for ourselves. And we've woken up and realized we're in a bad place And a place where we need the Lord to come back and lead us again. The Bible says the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity 
of us all. I'm here to tell you today that no matter what life has dealt you, if you will let him, your good shepherd, be the leader of your life, then he will help you to have the right spirit about things. And uh, uh, some of you came into church today and your spirit's all out of whack. You're all out of whack. I think about the, the family that gets in the car. Have you ever realized that if you're ever going to have a fight with your spouse in the car, it's only going to happen on the way to church? How many know what I'm talking about this morning? It doesn't happen on the way to Walmart. It doesn't happen on the way to the grocery store. It happens on the way to church. And I mean, you're yelling and screaming and bickering and fighting and your blood pressure's up and blood's rushing your head and your hands and you're, you're, you're fuming and, and you're talking over each other. And then your car turns into 5344 Main Street and immediately, like, like it's like there's a laser across the parking lot. As soon as your car enters, you go from screaming and hollering to, we're at church, honey. It's time to be a good Christian. And you pull into the parking spot, and you get out, and you make sure your suit's just right, or your dress is just right, and you tuck the Bible under your arm, and you're snarling at each other under your breath, but you're smiling. And you come up the parking lot, and he's trying to hold her hand. I'm not holding your hand. I'm not holding your hand. And you hold the door open for your wife, and she thinks, you big hypocrite. And the two of you walk in the door, and you look at the pastor, and you say, This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It, uh, It's amazing how things get our spirit all tripped up. It's amazing how we seem to get on each other's nerves right before the Lord is about to do a great work in our hearts and lives. Some of you came in the door today, and your spirit's all out of whack. You're dealing with... The hard news of someone who you love is sick. You're dealing with shocking news of something that um, uh, has troubled your spirit. You're dealing with an illness. You're dealing with a chronic illness. Uh, Maybe a loved one in your life has passed away recently and, and that cloud still hovers over your head. And you say, well, pastor, how can I maintain a right spirit when life is not going my way? And I have to tell you today that if you will make God the good shepherd of your life, no matter what life throws at you, he can give you a steady spirit. Let me give you six observations uh, from the 23rd Psalm this morning about how the Lord wants to be the good shepherd of our spirit. Number one, if you're taking notes, notice a spirit of contentment. A spirit of contentment. Look at Psalm chapter 23 and verse number one. Notice there it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. Uh, What he's saying here is, because the Lord is my shepherd, there's nothing that I covet after. I am content with such things as I have. A closer examination of this verse will teach us that because God is leading me, I will be content with what I have. Let me say that again. A closer examination of verse 1 is teaching us that because God is my leader, I will learn to be content with what I have. Benjamin Franklin said, content makes poor men rich. Discontent makes rich men poor. The Christian who learns how to make God the number one goal of his life, guess what he finds? He finds contentment. 
Let's look at some verses on contentment, all right? Uh, let me just read these here for you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 says, Not that I speak... By the way, before I read Philippians 4, 11. Philippians was written from a jail cell. And not a modern jail cell. I'm talking about a hole in the ground. I'm talking about chains and shackles. I'm talking about slop being thrown down in the hole that they had to fight over. All right? He's writing this from a jail cell. And Paul writes, he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, Let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. Why? For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Because the Lord has promised that he will never leave us and never forsake us. Because God has promised to be loyal to our side through thick and thin. uh, We are to be content with such things as we have. We're to not live a lifestyle of covetousness. Philip Barnham tells the story of a rich industrialist who is disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. Because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Why can't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. Well, what would I do with him, came the reply. The rich man, you, you could you could earn more money and 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 buy a better boat to, so so you could go uh, deeper and catch more fish and you, you could purchase nylon nets and catch even more fish and make more money. Soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. The fisherman asked, "Then what would I do?" The rich industrialist replied, "Well, then you could sit down and enjoy life." To which the poor fisherman said, well, what do you think I'm doing now? Spirit of contentment. We always want bigger and better. More square feet. Nicer uh, uh, this. Nicer that. Uh, A a bigger, better grill. A a larger bass boat. A nicer, more luxurious car. A nicer set of clothes. A a, a more expensive handbag with a more elite and prestigious uh, name on it. And we want more and more and more. You say, well, pastor, how do I know if I'm living a covetous lifestyle? One indicator of that would be that you make enough money to pay your bills but you still are thousands of dollars in consumer credit card debt. And it isn't that you leaned on cards because you just ran out of of, of paycheck, you weren't making enough. No, you were making enough, but you didn't learn how to live within your means. And now uh, uh, MasterCard has become your master. A covetous lifestyle. Am I stepping on people's toes this morning? Some people, their spirit is out of whack. Their spirit is out of whack because they never have enough money to pay their bill. And it's financial pressure and financial pressure and financial pressures. And maybe you need to step back and let him be your good shepherd and learn a spirit of contentment. Hey, I'm not just preaching at you this morning. I'm preaching at myself. Hey, this wanting things I can't afford and swiping Visa to get it is a mistake I have made at times in my life. It's not a mistake I'm currently making, but it's a mistake I have made at times in my life. And the Lord has to stop me and say, am I really calling the shots? Am I leading the show? A spirit of contentment. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Number two, notice a spirit of calmness. 
a spirit of calmness. Look back at Psalm chapter 23 with me there in your Bibles. In a moment, I'm going to have you turn over to Mark chapter number 4. Psalm 23 verse 2 says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. The idea here is that there are times, whether we realize it or not, that we need to stop worrying about all of our problems and just lie down and allow our Savior, our Shepherd, to restore us emotionally. Look back there. It says, He maketh me. He forces me. He requires me to lie down in green pastures. He maketh me. Turn over to Mark chapter 4 with me, if you will. Obviously, we'll be in Psalm 23 throughout the message, so don't lose your place there. We live in such a neck, break, speed, fast-paced society. Go, 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 go. The less I sleep, the more productive I can be, and the greater I am, uh, the more uh, uh, rich or successful or uh, uh, famous I can be, uh, the, the, the more I can niche out for myself in life. And what happens is we go, 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 go. And what happens? Our sleep gets out of balance. Our eating gets out of balance. And then because of that, as a result of those two things being out of balance, our health grows out of balance. And sometimes God uses, uh, He touches our health. He hurts our health to say, lie in that bed and rest. I want to get up and go. And he says, lay right there. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Um, We'll get into Mark 4 in a moment. And I'm going to say this before Mark 4 because Mark 4 will take us in a different direction. Live your life with margin. Live your life with margin. You know, a pilot um, uh, flying a plane, they're not allowed to fly, fly below a certain amount of fuel in there. There's a whole lot of fuel left over when they land. They make sure that when they fly, there is no accident because there's margin in every area. The way they take off, the way they land, the weather conditions, they will not fly unless there is enough margin to promise and ensure safety. How many of you get that you're supposed to follow two to three car lengths behind someone going down the highway? You know what that two or three car length is? It's margin. So that if they slam on their brakes, as happens on 95 and 15 every day, you have enough reaction time to get on your brake and bring the car to a stop without leaving rubber all over the road or without plowing into the back of their car. That's margin. Do you have margin built into your life? Some of you run on four or five hours of sleep all the time. And your health is always tinkering on the edge of of disaster. I'm not talking about people where God has given them a chronic illness. Paul had a chronic illness and he went to the Lord several times and said, take this away from me. And the Lord said, I'm not going to do it, Paul. My grace is sufficient for thee. And sometimes God touches our health and it's the work of God. Other times our health is ruined because we're not living our life with margin. We're not eating right. We're not sleeping right. And God said, some point says, I'm going to bring you to a place where you lie down and you rest and I bring about you a spirit of calmness. Look at Mark chapter 4. Look at verse 35. 
And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over uh, uh, unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. So we have a, a flock of boats or a group of boats going across the Sea of Galilee here. Jesus is in one of them, but there are several boats. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship. It's not just the side of the ship. They're coming up and landing inside the ship. So that it was now full. And when he was in the hinder part of the ship, uh, and, and he was rather in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and they, uh, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and it was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Please understand that inside these boats were men who were lifelong fishermen. Their career job was to be out on the sea. They knew uh, storms regularly, and those who know uh, much about meteorology and the Sea of Galilee, they'll tell you that a storm can come out of nowhere. It can be blue skies one moment, and the next moment uh, a, a, a very ominous storm cloud will arise, and moments later it's raining uh, hard, and then the storm disappears uh, uh, shortly thereafter. But this one wasn't uh, uh, leaving. This one was staying, and the rain was falling, and the waves became so boisterous they were landing inside the boat. The Bible tells us that the boat filled up with water. No doubt it was rocking back and forth. And they're, they're in the boat and I'm sure they're bucketing water out of the ship and they're beginning to fear for their lives. And one, maybe uh, uh, John looks over at Bartholomew and says, well, where is Jesus? And, and Bartholomew with, with a little bit of uh, anger in his voice looks back at, at uh, Peter and says, he's asleep on a pillow. Well, have you ever been there where, man, the storm is raging in your life and you're like, Where are you, Lord? This is crazy. And so they go back, and Jesus, I mean, he's out. He's snoring. He's sawing logs. Asleep on a pillow. And they shake him by the shoulders, and they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Can't you see we're about to die? And Jesus gets up off the pillow, and he... He makes his way over to the boat, probably falling and stumbling his way. And then he looks up at the sky and he says, Peace, be still. And immediately, the storm ceases. Their spirit was out of order because they did not trust Jesus that he could stop the storm with just his words. That storm that's raging in your life right now, And you say, Pastor, there's no way that anybody could stop this. Can I remind you that just as Jesus has power over the wind and the waves, Jesus has power over all of the causes of your problems. And you find that rest. You find that calmness. You find that assurance only in the presence of the Lord. Are you trusting the Good Shepherd this morning? I think of the verse in Psalm, chapter 46, verse 10, that says, Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Number three, notice a spirit of Christ's likeness. Go back to Psalm chapter 23 with me. Psalm chapter 23, look back at verse number three. Notice it says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness, interestingly enough, for His name's sake. 
For His name's sake. Why is it that the Lord, the Good Shepherd, leads us in the paths of righteousness? Is it so that we will benefit? Now, let me be clear here. We are the benefactors if we follow the Lord. We are the benefactors if we allow Him to lead us. We are the benefactors if we get in behind the systems that God has put in place uh, uh, as far as leadership goes, and we follow the leaders while they're following Christ. We are the, we are the benefactors if we follow God's plan for our life. But be very clear here, the reason why God leads us in the paths of righteousness is not for us, it's for Him. It's for his namesake. You know why? Because it's his reputation that's on the line. It's his reputation that's on the line. Christian. Maybe the most important title that I carry is the title Christian. Christian. Because that does not tie me to a woman as marriage does. That does not tie me to children as fatherhood does. That does not tie me to a church as pastor does. The title Christian ties me to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. When they walk away from you, are they going to want to know more about your faith? Or want, less to ha- or want to have less to do with your faith. Now, you all know the difference between character and reputation. Character is who I really am. Reputation is who I am perceived to be. You all get this? For most folks, probably everybody, our reputation lies a little bit higher than our actual character. Our reputation, boy, we guard that at all costs. But our character is who we are in the dark. It's who we really are. Now, the goal is to get your character and reputation to be the same. Right? That can be hard to do. Boy, the goal would be to have a character that's even higher than your reputation. But for most folks, their character is at least a little bit below their reputation. Can I tell you the opposite is true for God on earth? His reputation is far below his character. Most people don't understand how good God is. Can I tell you why the reputation of the Lord struggles so much in 2019 here on planet Earth amongst humanity? Because we are not representing who God really is. The world looks at us and they say, well, if that's a Christian, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Shame on us. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness, not for my name's sake. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What does Proverbs chapter 22 verse 1 tell us? It tells us that good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor, uh, uh, rather than silver and gold. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 1 says a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death uh, uh, than the day of one's life. I used to work with uh, teenagers quite a bit. I was uh, the athletic director in a Christian school, and so I oversaw all the sports programs and scheduled all the games and ordered all the uniforms and took them on all the, all the away game trips. And after a game was over, uh, we would get um, into the bus and we would head to McDonald's or Burger King or Taco Bell, uh, whatever. And uh, now those kids all, uh, never mind, I was going to talk about how deformed they are from eating there, but uh, that, that's normal for kids to want to eat at one of those those restaurants, by the way, can we just be honest? We all complain about McDonald's, but we all eat it, right? Hey, there's nothing better than McDonald's French fries. I'm just going to say it right now. 
Even the one that's been sitting underneath your chair in your car for three months and still has no fuzz on it. You know what? Um, don't pick that one up and eat it. I know it's tempting. Don't do it. All right. But, uh, but uh, take them to McDonald's. And I would tell them every time before they got off the bus, I'd say, listen, you represent yourself. You represent this school. And you represent our Savior. You better go in there and behave. You make sure you say yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, no, ma'am, no, sir, to the waiter or to the person taking your order. You make sure that you leave your table cleaner than you found it. You make sure that if other people come in the restaurant and they're waiting to order, that you let them go to the front and order in front of you. And you make sure that I can leave a gospel track on the table when we leave. And they pick that up and say, I want to know more about this Jesus. Now, you're not on a bus heading to McDonald's with a Christian school, but you are representing Jesus everywhere you go. And if he's your good shepherd and he's leading you in paths of righteousness, guess what? The people you come in contact with, they're going to look at you and say, boy, I want to know more about your Jesus. I want to know more about how I can be like that. Uh, Today, we're going to baptize a young man. And I don't uh, fully know the whole story. He's in the room right now, so I'll I'll, I'll, I'll tread uh, carefully here. Part of the reason why he got saved and part of the reason why he's getting baptized is because his co-worker... His co-worker had such a Christian testimony, he said, I want to know more about what you have, and I want that. I want that. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. How do we maintain a spirit uh, in times of trouble? Uh, we must make the Lord our good shepherd. Number three, a spirit of Christ-likeness. Number four, notice, a spirit of comfort. A spirit of comfort. Look at verse number four. I guess I said something that sounded like Siri. And so my phone just went off. All right. He's listening. All right. A spirit of comfort. Look at verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff. Look here. They comfort me. Those who place their complete trust know that even when bad things happen... God is still in control. Can you turn over to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45 with me? Such an important verse for a young Christian to understand. I've told the story about my father going to visit a family who got saved. This is back in Mississippi. They were fired up. They were faithful. And then all of a sudden they just dropped off off the planet as far as church was concerned. And after about a month, I went out with my dad to visit them. They lived a good 20 minutes from the church. And I remember as a young boy sitting there with my father, and uh, they told my father, they said, since we've gotten saved, all of our appliances have broken. We've had a leak in our roof. And uh, it's been nothing but problem, 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 problem. And we thought when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, life was going to be, you know, smooth sailing. It's been anything, anything but. They needed this verse. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil 
and on the good, meaning good comes to, uh, to, to evil people and good people, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. There's going to be days where, boy, the sun is beaming and bright and, 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 and happy. Whether you could be living an evil lifestyle and still experience the blessings of God, you could be living a godly lifestyle and still experience the storms of life. And, uh, boy, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And so here is why it's so important that we have a shepherd. Because when the rain falls and when you are, are, are troubled and when you are nervous and when you are scared and when you don't know what's coming down the road and when there's uncertainty in your life and you're tremoring in your spirit, boy, the sheep with no shepherd, they have no one to hold them and comfort them and console them. The sheep with a shepherd can go climb in the arms of the shepherd and say, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm afraid. I feel alone. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And the shepherd holds you in his arms and he says, just stay with me. Just be close with me. Earlier we looked in Matthew 5 how the Lord calmed the storm. But can I tell you what's been more true in my life? God God has not always calmed the storm, but God has calmed me while I've gone through the storm. You have a choice, my friend. You have a choice when your spirit's all out of order. You have a choice when things aren't just right in your life. You can run to the shepherd so he can comfort you and assure you through it. Or you can run from the shepherd and isolate yourself. And I promise Satan wants you to do that so he can pounce. A spirit of comfort. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 is a very important verse. It says, uh, it says, therefore, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I know their sorrows. I think of Mary when Lazarus died. Jesus was on the outskirts of Bethany where Mary and, and Lazarus and Martha lived. And, and Mary came and she got down on her feet, or uh, her knees at the feet of Jesus. And she said, Master, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she's sobbing and weeping because she's so heartbroken. But notice her, her not only her, her placement, but her disposition in the presence of the Savior. She's weeping. Now, please know Jesus knew that just a few moments later, her brother would be alive. But at that moment Mary is at her at his feet she's grieving over the shadow of death and the Lord uses that staff to comfort her and the Bible tells us that Jesus wept Jesus wept my friend today and you're running and you're 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 nervous about the unknown you're upset over the way a relationship's going you're bothered about the way things are and the Bible says come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest A spirit of comfort. Number five, notice a spirit of celebration. A spirit of celebration. Look back with me at Psalm chapter 23. And look at verse number five. It says there, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, uh, the timeline of which David wrote this psalm is debatable. We don't know. 
And we, we won't know till we can get to heaven and have the Lord tell us. Some have speculated that David wrote it while sitting under a tree uh, shepherding sheep. And that's very possible. Um, verse 5 seems to indicate that maybe David wrote this as a king standing in his in his cafeteria or his his grand ballroom with a, a food spread before him. And I would more buy into the second theory, and here's why. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You remember the story of David, right? You remember the story of David? Boy, he was a shepherd, and he got thrust into war with Goliath, and he slays Goliath, and then he's thrown up and made to be captain of the army, and, uh, and, and then his praises are sung to a place where King Saul is jealous, and then King Saul chases him all over the wilderness for years, trying to kill him, and then Saul is eventually killed in battle, and then David is king over Hebron for seven years. Eventually, he's brought into Jerusalem and made king over Jerusalem, and now those who served in Saul's palace, those who prepared the food for Saul are now preparing the food for David. Those who he knew back when he served in the palace with Saul before he was being chased, those who he knew there who had been uh, uh, manservants and women servants in the castle uh, uh, who were helping and aiding and assisting Saul to track down David by order of King Saul, they're now putting food in front of him. They're now serving him. David stands there with a spread of food in front of him. He looks back to the day where he was a shepherd. And he says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest, thinking back to his time where he was anointed to be king. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Listen to me here this morning. We all have plenty of negative in our life we can focus on. That situation that has you tremoring, that rainstorm that's pouring down on you proverbially, you can focus on that, or you can focus on all of the good that God has just dumped all over you in blessing. You know, um, I've been a Christian for 31 years, and in my 31 years, I have gone through a lot of hard trials. And here is the one thing I will tell you about the trials I've been through. God is always good. Now, in that moment, I'm going through that trial. It doesn't always feel like God is good. Sometimes it feels like God is not being so good. But once I get further and further away from that event, I look back over my shoulder And I can see the goodness of God in a way that blows my mind. I can look back over my shoulder right now and I can think of four or five or six trials the Lord has walked my family through. And at the time, I was heartbroken and I was hurting. But now I look and say, Lord, you have prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runneth over. That trial that you're going through right now, it may seem that God is absent in your life. It may seem that God is not doing what you want God to do. I promise if you will stay faithful to him, 
You'll get past the storm. You'll turn back with time and perspective. And you will celebrate at how good your shepherd is. A spirit of celebration. Psalm chapter number 100, David wrote. And he said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. And all God's people said... Amen. Number six, and lastly, notice a spirit of consistency, a spirit of consistency. Okay, so uh, if I will follow the Lord, pastor, what will he give me? Say them with me. Have you filled out the points on the back of your bulletin there? Will you will you repeat back the points of the message here with me? Point number one, a spirit of contentment. Number two, a spirit of calmness. Number three, a spirit of Christ likeness. Number four, a spirit of Comfort, number uh, five, a spirit of celebration. Lastly, number six, notice a spirit of consistency. Because the Lord has led me to contentment, and because the Lord has calmed my spirit, and because the Lord has taught me how to be Christ-like, and because the Lord has done these things, I will commit to a spirit of consistency with the Lord. Look at verse six. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. His, his love for us is consistent. Now, because his love for us is consistent, we're called to be consistent. Look here. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not hit or miss, not sometimes, not when it's convenient, forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, in the Old Testament, the house of the Lord was the tabernacle, then the temple. In the New Testament, it is the New Testament church. It is the gathering of believers. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, because you provide contentment and calmness and Christ-likeness and comfort and celebration, I am going to be faithful to your house. You know, consistency is a, is a, um, uh, consistency commitment is a, is something that is missing in today's era. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessing. Psalm 122, one says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. When we submit our lives under his will and allow him to lead, we will find ourselves more blessed and more joyous than we've ever been. This causes us to want to serve him more. This causes a desire to be more consistent in our fellowship with him. What David was saying in verse 6 was this, God, because you are the one that is shepherding my life, I know that I will always be well taken care of. Because of this, because of this, I will do my best to stay under your caring hand. Christian, this morning, is your spirit out of line? If your spirit is out of line, then it's time to come back to the flock and tell the Lord, I will let you be my good shepherd in the easy times and in the hard times. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. How many say, Pastor Lejeune, I have strayed from the flock in my spirit. I have allowed fear to grab hold of me. And I need to let the Lord be my good shepherd 
anew. Pastor, that's, my, that's me. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me? I need to let Jesus be the good shepherd of my heart. How many here today would say, Pastor, for the most part, he is. For the most part, he is. But there was something said in the message today that I know I could tweak, that I know I could do better. The Lord showed me an area of improvement this morning. Pastor, pray for me. I'll make changes. So those cha- I'll make changes in my life so that I can be more like who Christ wants me to be. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Something was said in the sermon this morning. I know there's changes that need to be made. Lord, would you help us to not leave here the same way we were when we came in? Lord, the Christian life oftentimes is not about one big decision after one big decision. But Lord, it's little change after little change. And those little changes add together to turn us into who you want us to be. And so, Lord, may we all commit to find something today where we can do better. Give us a spirit that is one from following you. Give us a spirit that pleases you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.